1: this is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your host, Alan Smith, a veteran of OTR trucking, business entrepreneur, and the most recognized name for assisting CDL students and new graduates. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins. Right now.
2: Well, all right. Welcome back to our show, everyone. Today is Thursday, December 13th, 2012, and Don and I appreciate you, as always, for tuning in to Blog Talk Radio and sharing. A little of your time with us, whether you are listening live at this very moment or catching us through the archive shows, we thank you. Our call-in number, 347-826-9170, if you wish to join us. And as we wind down 2012 and prepare for the really big holiday season that is fast approaching, we will wrap up 2012 with this, our final show for the year, as we continue our series on truck driver health. And hope all of this information that we are sharing will help you make 2013 a year of healthy living. And uh, an estimated uh, Don, are you? Did you make it on there? Um, no, that password didn't work. No, oh, well, it, it works. I, I guess we should have tried a little bit earlier, but I think it does. Um, but anyway, are you on the uh, on your laptop there?
3: Yeah, but I, I don't have a connection.
2: Oh, you don't? Nope. Oh, well, yeah, I guess you're new. Well, it should. That's a new one. I'll look at it after the uh, after the thing, though. But, um, you know, I, I'm still looking for our guest. Uh, I've got a 214-Texas um, number. Did, had you talked to her or anything yet?
3: Yeah, I, I'm I'm texting her back and forth. So let's see, she's writing me now. Yes, that's it. Okay, that's her number. Okay, that's good. All right, well, um, <laughs> as Don and I kind
2: of, wrap up things here real quick appreciate you tuning in like i was saying and we're going to focus once again on our final show of the year on truck driver health and diabetes such such a big big thing going on Uh, an estimated 25.8 million americans 8.3 percent of the population have diabetes and of these 18.8 million have been diagnosed and an estimated 7 million remain unaware of their condition and in 2011 79 million american adults had a condition called pre-diabetes so you put all that together and that's more than 30 percent of the u.s population that is diabetic undiagnosed or pre-diabetic and worldwide diabetes affects 197 million people and these numbers are expected to more than double by 2030 And if that wasn't alarming enough, how about this statistic? In the United States, a uh, new case of diabetes is diagnosed every 30 seconds. And uh, yesterday, just yesterday, the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine released findings from a new study that shows the number of U.S. adults who are losing their vision has increased more than 20% during the last decade, and they are pointing the blame at diabetes. Now, type 2 diabetes uh, makes up uh, 90 to 95% of all diabetes cases in the United States, and according to a recent federal report that was released on November 16th, research now confirms an epidemic increase in type 2 diabetes across America. Eighteen U.S. states have seen their rate of diabetes cases double during the 15-year period covered by the the, uh, study and 42 states saw their rate jump by 50%. So in six states and Puerto Rico, one in 10 adults now have diabetes, and again, that is 18 states that have seen their rate of diabetes increase by 100%. And according to the November 16th report, the states with the biggest increases were mainly found in the south, with Kentucky at 158%, Georgia 145%, Alabama a hundred and forty percent, and Mary Alice in Oklahoma, listen up, Oklahoma came in at a whopping 226 percent increase in diabetes cases, but states everywhere showed increases in diabetes, including regions uh, such as the West, Midwest, and the uh, Northeast. So our special guest this evening is a professional truck driver of 15 years and the founder of the American Truck Drivers Diabetes Association on the web at ATDDA.org. Laura Ann Kilpatrick was first diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in 1987 at the age of 19 and through her own research and education learned how to manage her diabetes and live a healthy lifestyle while juggling her diabetes care with the trucker's lifestyle. So we'll talk about the different types and causes of diabetes, treatment, diabetes myths, the importance of nutrition, reducing carbs, and diabetes management while living life out on the road. So Donna should be a good show and an important show at that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was just, I was. There's so many articles, and because there's such a high increase um, with with the uh, diabetes, you know, there's all kinds of theories now and uh a lot of it you know they're doing they're doing research and testing and you can find facts and figures and all like that but uh i think right now uh it's really stumbling a lot of people uh with with all the different uh theories going on so i mean i have even doing the research my own theories of why there's a great uh increase in diabetes I was talking to Kevin Hodge, who, uh, by the way, will be one of our guests on this series of Truck Driver Health as we continue in January, and when you talked about Oklahoma, uh, I remember while I was speaking with him, he was saying that uh, the farmers actually, um, there's so many genetically modified crops going uh, on in the Midwest that a lot of the people um, in that area are coming down with a lot higher rate of autoimmune disease and now I'd have to you know confirm that I mean this was in a conversation I had with them and you know I could have um, you know messed it up but I'm pretty sure that's what he said uh, when we spoke so it's interesting that Oklahoma came in so high
2: yeah they came in top 226 percent increase but well, our guest has been studying this and researching and studying it and studying it since the 1990s, and she. we're going to talk about a lot of things, and we'll get rolling, Laura Ann Kilpatrick of the American Truck Drivers Diabetes Association, our guest this evening coming up on Truth About Trucking Life. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. I hear from a lot of newcomers to the industry who still have that entrepreneur spirit that has made the United States of America the great country that she is. And many of them still have one goal in mind, and that is to someday have their own rig and become an owner-operator. Truth About Trucking Live is all about providing honest, reliable information about the OTR trucking industry, especially for those just beginning their truck driving careers. Running your own trucking business is part of the entrepreneurial spirit that has kept America moving since trucks were first used by the military in World War I. If you're considering starting your own owner-off business, there's only one name that you need to know, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing. LoneMountainTruck.com offers the best lease purchase plans in the industry. There's no huge balloon payment at the end, and when you make that final monthly payment, they hand over the title, The Truck Is Yours. They require a very reasonable down payment, and the monthly payments are kept at an affordable $1,000 per month and sometimes even less. A great inventory to choose from, including Peterbilt's, Volvo's, International's, and Freightliners. And all of their trucks are mechanically checked out, dependable, and ready to go to work. And unlike trucking company leases, if you choose to change motor carriers, the truck goes with you. It's your truck. Check them out at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free, 866-512-5685. LoneMountainTruck.com, the honest guys with the sweet lease deals. LoneMountainTruck.com.
3: Hey, ready, Porter.
0: It. Man, it's crowded tonight. Care if I join you? Sure, have a seat. Sorry about the paperwork. Name's Cole. Appreciate it. I'm Harlan, by the way.
4: Here's a fill-up for you guys. Thanks, honey. Harlan, you look hungry. What can I get you?
0: I'll have a Coke and whatever he's having.
4: Back in a bit.
0: What are you doing with all this paperwork, driver? Looks like you're tripping over your trip sheets. want to get a jump on these taxes before they jump me. There is a better way to manage your trucking paperwork. With TripSheetCentral.com, you're a login away from tracking every aspect of your business. TripSheetCentral.com organizes your information easily so you can see how your business is performing. That sounds easy. And it's fast. Time-consuming paperwork is eliminated with a low-cost monthly subscription. I no longer have to worry about invoices, settlement reports, or fuel tax returns. TripSheetCentral.com does that for me. Manage your business information securely with TripSheet Central. Visit TripSheetCentral.com at your next stop.
1: This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at com. Now, back to the show.
2: All right, we're back, and we, uh, joining us now is our guest, Laura Ann Kilpatrick, professional truck driver and founder of the American Truck Drivers Diabetes Association. So, Laura, welcome to the program. Really glad to have you with us this evening.
4: Thank you for having me. It's a great opportunity. I appreciate it.
2: Oh man, you have a nice clear phone line too. Well, that's perfect.
4: Yes, it it I was hoping so. Arrangements worked out wonderful.
2: Well, good. Glad to have you here. You know, Don and I was just kind of mentioning uh during uh during the, you know, beginning of the show, uh kind of the misinformation and stuff out there. We're going to get into that too, but uh you know I guess Donna I guess the best place to start is just to have Laura tell us about how the ATDDA came about and the reasons for founding the association don't you think
3: Yeah let's let's hear about it because I think there's a lot of drivers on tonight um this is a very popular show so uh they want to hear about this uh, association this nonprofit association that you've established
4: Well, thank you. Um, Well, after many years of, as Alan spoke about, me having diabetes, I was diagnosed at age 19. I started driving a truck in my, well, let's say early 30s with my husband. Um, And, oh, once started over the road, you know, new driver, learning everything. I already pretty much had my eating and exercise planned down. Uh, But as any new driver will tell you, you start driving a truck and everything changes. We had nobody really to guide us. We really didn't know what we were getting into. Uh, Learning quickly that eating out of a truck stop every day was not working, I didn't like it. Not that I don't like truck stop foods, just uh, I'm more of a vegetable eater and uh, try to eat protein but not big on restaurants. Um, finding it very difficult you know with a trucking schedule to actually have to stop every day to eat that wasn't that doesn't work Um, so first thing we did was we got a cooler and you know when we could at the time uh, stop at grocery stores and get what we could to stock up in the truck Um, I did learn quickly to keep canned food Uh, back in I believe it was around 1998 uh, we were stuck on Interstate 40 just east of Santa Rosa on the interstate as well as thousands of of other drivers Um, the road was backed up from Amarillo to uh, way into New Mexico roads were shut down and we were stuck with nowhere to go and we had very little food Thankfully, there were a lot of good truck drivers around. There were a lot of four-wheelers out there, and everybody pulled together, and we all pitched in what one didn't have. The other one passed around. But I learned really quickly, I especially come wintertime, you have to stock up on canned foods. Um, just over the years, trying to figure out the best way to incorporate all of it became such a challenge Rest, the restaurants in truck drop, stop, excuse me, truck stops do do a pretty good job at you know providing us with good meals. Just finding out what is good and what is healthy, and trying to sort all of that out um, at the same time, try, time. Trying to keep my diabetes under control, trying to find ways to exercise. You can't just stop that truck every day and get out and walk like we would like to, or go to a gym. Um, in the meantime, asking my current doctor at the time, uh, you know, just meal planning. How how do I space my meals? What, what do I do while I'm on the truck? And I wasn't getting any answers. His answer was, well, we eat at the hospital at 8, noon, and 5. Well, that's great for the hospital, but <laughs> we don't hold that schedule. So that's a little difficult. So I knew I wasn't getting anywhere there. Um, exercise, he said, put a treadmill in my truck. Well, I have a treadmill at home, and that thing is not going through the door of that truck. I will tell you, that thing is big. They do make smaller ones. I have not found one that fits in a truck. Um Uh, Well, you know, you write
2: uh, write about that a little bit about uh, how, uh, you know, these doctors and medical professions, they just can't get a grasp on the lifestyle of a trucker. You know, even when we throw out that that 14-hour rule that we got hit with, you know, a few years or so ago back, uh, I think even the 14-hour rule could be a complication in, you know, someone such as yourself and diabetic that is, you know, allowing the time to stop and eat properly and everything. So these doctors and medical professionals like you have mentioned on your blog, 18 willing with diabetes is um they 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 still just don't get it and that was one reason you just set out to uh form the ATDDA and uh, and get that information out there, correct?
4: Yes. It was just, you know, my difficulties, my hurdles. And I knew if I wasn't getting the answers, nobody else was either. And so just, you know, me struggling. And I knew, you know, I don't, I have not found an exact figure of how many truck drivers have diabetes. I have some estimated, guesstimated estimates um you know somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 200,000 plus maybe 220,000 that's a lot of drivers and if i'm just one having difficulty finding information and guidance and you know i know they did and so that was my goal to set out and not only help myself but let's see if we can help some other people that are struggling because i know there are they are struggling
2: well you know Donna it's funny when I I, well not funny but it's interesting as Laura talks about uh, the struggles out on the road especially as a professional trucker but you know you and I have gone on little trips just in our personal vehicle like up to uh, um, you know Kansas City for the last convention and everything and uh, even in something as comfortable as a personal vehicle uh, you were
3: still having a little struggle just eating correctly and watching that well yeah because you know i when you're when you're home, you know, you watch uh what you buy. You know, you can buy organic, um, you cook with the oils that you're limited to because I'm on a very strict um as far as certain foods, um, even down to like I said, the oils, only olive oil and grapeseed oil. Um, no margarine. So I was constantly asking people in restaurants, is this butter or margarine? Um, and, you know, things like that, that when you don't think about when you're home because you know exactly what's in your home and you're preparing the contents of the food. Um, so even, even if you're, you're, you're just traveling, I mean, forget fast food places. I, I, I don't even think about fast food places unless it's like, you know, you're just starving and there's nothing else around and, and you have to eat it. But, um, it's, it's very, very difficult. To control your intake while you're while you're traveling. I mean, even at restaurants, uh, unless you go to a salad bar, and then you know you have more control over that. I would say they're probably um, the best places to go, like Golden Corral. I used to love to go to Golden Corral because I could get a great big salad, and you know, put put your olive oil and vinegar and you know all the goodies, grilled fish, and and all like that, but. Um, even then, you know, you don't know what they're putting in the fish or anything. So it it's it's difficult for, for anybody with any kind of a controlled diet while you're out on the road. Now I know some drivers prepare when they go home, they prepare all kinds of food and then they take them with them, uh, packed in, you know, little Tupperwares and, and bring it in their uh in their cooler. So they know exactly what they have and as far as exercise we had um Rick Ash at the convention this past October uh in Kansas City at Harris and um he spoke uh extensively about how you know he makes sure he gets his exercise i think he lost like 60 or 60 or 70 pounds i can't remember but, um, and he was also saying he doesn't do fast food, and he's very careful; he brings his food and it was a wonderful presentation. Jeff Clark was also on our um on one of our shows uh of the truck and runners group on Facebook, and I mean, they get out and they actually you know run, I believe you know make time and and just commit to that exercise and he had a, a show too you could listen to in the archives. It was a great show. Um and it was, you know, because of health uh health condition that, that he had. So I think there's always ways to get around these things. It's the idea of having a place uh to go, especially for drivers, um, like you've established with your um with your five oh one C. So um I'm gonna let you go on and, and, and talk about that.
4: Well, uh, you know, as we were saying, you mentioned exercise. I I found that, you know, after, you know, the whole get a treadmill and put it in your truck, which I knew wouldn't work, or, you know, I do a lot of driving at night. Doctor said, well, once a day, stop at the rest area. Well, I'm not going to stop at a rest area at night. I might pull in, but I'm locking my doors and I'm not getting out. So I knew that wasn't going to work. So I just found a way when the weather's nice, I get out and walk. We do terminal to terminal, so I have the ability to be in a safe place that I can get out and walk. If we're not parked, I do all my exercises in the truck. I can do aerobics. I lift weights. You can do push-ups. You can do sit-ups. You can do anything in that truck to get exercise that you need, with the exception of those who are in a day cab, of course, but any conventional truck there's room even in a flat top Uh, you know there's ways to sit down and you know lean on your back and you know pretend you're riding a bicycle you can still lift weights there are ways to do it you just have to find them and you may need a little encouragement or you may not have thought of what how to do it so you know there are ways and of course exercise is one of those things that you have to for most of us, including myself, have to force yourself to do. It's not something we choose to do or some of us really like to do. I do feel better after I exercise, so that's what pushes me to do so. But, you know, there are many things you can do in, inside your truck and be creative. And when I say aerobics, I dance. I put my headphones on with my music, and I just do what I need to do to move my body for 30 to 45 minutes, and it works. Um, as far as you were talking about the restaurants it is very difficult to control your eating uh in the restaurants and when you were talking about asking uh a lot of times you can ask and you're not going to get either a correct answer or an answer because a lot of times they don't know. They don't know what oils they're using. They don't know the quality of chicken or beef where it came from. Is that burger part soy or filler or is it real beef? I mean, you just don't really know. So, and those you know, are very
3: important. All the things you're bringing up. I mean, they're they're realizing that the types of oils and the types of additives. It's all not just um, contributing to diabetes, but to a lot of other diseases. Uh, So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, you were the mole on the head. Well, you know, we do have more control
4: when we are at home. It doesn't mean we eat any better or it does not mean that we exercise more. You know, you think of somebody who works eight to five who's not a truck driver who is at home. Once they're done working, they go home. They don't want to cook. You know, look at all across the country the amount of restaurants people are eating at. We're seeing more and more. There's not a night that I go by a town that the restaurants aren't full. And so more and more people are eating out, eating at home less, and not getting any exercise. So as truck drivers, we think that we do have it more difficult, which I don't like to say that it's more difficult. It's a little more challenging. We have to be a little more creative. But I don't think the hardships are any worse than somebody being at home because anybody can find an excuse for anything. Anybody can say, I don't want to cook. I'm going to run and go get something. We can do that in the truck. Um, You know, as long as I've been out here, I found a way to eat out of the truck. Occasionally we do eat out of the truck in restaurants, but like you said, it's learning to choose those restaurants, which ones you feel comfortable eating at, that you can choose your own food, Um, you know, whether it be a buffet or my new favorite is the Genghis grill. I load up on protein and and my vegetables and I can omit having rice or noodles. So I get what I want and I know what's going in it because I choose all the spices and I get to choose if I even want to have sauces, which I don't. So, you know, driving a truck, we do have actually a little more advantage, I think, because we get to go all across the country. We're not stuck in a little town with the same things. So we do get to see a little bit more, and we get to have a little bit more variety. So on the West Coast, you may have your favorite. On the East Coast, you may have your favorite. But you learn how to adapt for your health, and that's one of the most important things. Um, But knowing the basics is important, and that's what I've learned um, over all these years is the basics what i need to do and what everyone else needs to do to lay a good foundation a good base to go forward and that's the most important thing for anybody especially somebody with diabetes well okay.
2: well, well when you when you hear when people hear these statistics like i was reading off earlier i mean uh more than 30% of the us population Uh, Is affected by diabetes now, either diabetic or undiagnosed or pre-diabetic. I mean, when those stats like that are thrown out there, uh, I mean, it seems to me that uh, we as a society are just not taking diabetes serious. Uh, I mean, what's your thoughts on that?
4: Well, that was. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Donna.
3: Oh, I was. I was just gonna. I was curious. Go ahead.
4: Um, well, you know, the last couple of days I've been going over a lot of the statistics. And, over you know, over time I, I get a lot of people asking me, why is it so, we're growing at such a fast rate of people being diagnosed with diabetes. Well, I did a little bit of digging and research. And, you know, we do have a lot of people diagnosed with diabetes. And diabetes, first and foremost, is a very serious disease, no matter what type you have. And it should be taken seriously. And I think we have lost the seriousness of diabetes, especially type 2, in our society and even in the medical profession. But when I was looking at the statistics, I went back and in 1999, 16 million people had diabetes. Now, that was diagnosed diabetes as of 2011 according to the center for disease and control and prevention we have what alan spoke of we have a total of 18.8 million people diagnosed with an additional 7 million people with pre-diabetes so we put that together with and we get 25.8 or 26 million people now diagnosed because i am a firm believer that pre-diabetes is diabetes They have higher than normal blood sugars. If you have higher than normal blood sugars, that's diabetes. So we went from 1999 with 6.4% to 2011 to 8.4%. 2% increase, which 2% is a lot by any means. But if you look at the population statistics, in 1999 we were at 250 million people in the United States. 2011, we're at 308,512,000. That is an increase of 58 million people, roughly 23%. So our population has increased in the United States 23%, but our diabetes rate has only increased 2%. So even though, I, to me, 2% is a lot, but when you hear the average statistics, you would think it would be, a lot more now when I know you alluded to the 79 million people that we hear everywhere are at risk where they get that number is that all American Diabetes Association other organizations CDC they look at the amount of people that are overweight and they take those numbers and they say okay now we have 79 million people that are overweight, which is actually roughly 55% of the American public are overweight. 22% are obese. So now they've made a correlation that all overweight people are at risk for
3: diabetes, which is not true. So we I have- think it's worse. I think I think what it is is um, once you start in the process and of of course this is you know from what i've read once you start in the process and you're going you're leaning towards um diabetes <laughs> the um chem- the re- chemical reactions going on within your body um are actually making you gain weight and of course this is before it's even detected and you start gaining weight so i think uh, many many times um obesity or gaining weight is due to the fact that you have already diabetes uh, brewing and ready to explode rather than the fact that because you're obese you are going to get diabetes. I think it's in reverse. And if they are basing it on that, then that's true also. Uh, but, you know, who, who knows? I mean, I don't know what kind of testing they're doing, if they're testing a certain amount of obese people and seeing if they have the, um, you know, the the slightly higher than normal blood sugars. Therefore, it looks like they're pre-diabetic. Uh, I don't know what their research looks like or their data or statistics. So it's hard to tell. But w- w- if you are gaining weight and, you know, he, he, it could be that you're just eating a lot, or it could be that, you know, you're in the process of becoming a diabetic. So I think that's why it's a little vague, the the statistics that are out there.
4: Yes, and and that is part of it, because unfortunately, type 2 is associated with being overweight, some obese, some severely obese. But being overweight is not necessarily a precursor to diabetes. And that's where we see, to me, I see the mistake that people now are assuming that because somebody is overweight, their predisposition to have diabetes, which is not true because type 2 diabetes in and of itself is a polygenic disease. It's based on genetics and it does is associated with being overweight and part of that is like is what you alluded to is that higher blood sugars higher insulin levels will cause you to gain weight it's a metabolic disease and yes there are weight issues now not all type 2 diabetics are overweight but to make the correlation that came about back in the late 1980s because we hear so much about insulin resistance and insulin resistance is part of diabetes, type 2, but not the sole cause, nor it has it actually been linked as a cause of type 2 diabetes. But once we start making these correlations and these theories, and then it hits the web and it hits the news, now all we hear is that overweight people have insulin resistance. If you are insulin resistant, that's a precursor for diabetes, so now we have all these overweight Americans or overweight people in the world who have insulin resistance because that's caused by being overweight, and so of course, it links to type two diabetes but well, I think
3: it? i think I think you know there's a lot of other reasons besides uh genetics um and why we're seeing more people uh become diabetic and we touched on it uh a bit last week um some of those uh besides just excessive consumption you know uh which you know i mean if you are overeating and eating a lot of carbohydrates sweets um you know you can damage your uh your your pancreas although i mean you would have to be predisposed to to that kind of uh problem so it's partially you have to have the problem, I mean there's some people who can eat carbs and sweets all day long, and their pancreas just you know is fine uh but you know others others can't then there's um the uh hydrogenated oils, and that is linked now to you know, affecting um being causing diabetes type two nutri- nutritional deficiencies. Uh, chemical exposures um, like uh, pesticides, um, drugs, various uh, over-the-counter drugs even. And also, um, like we discussed last week with the genetically modified foods that we're eating. And all these things, you know, uh, are, are it's new to people. I mean, because GMO only started when? In the 80s, 90s, late 80s, early 90s. So now that these new and it's not just diabetes there is a huge list of autoimmune diseases that there might have been just a few people a small percentage of people years ago who were getting these diseases and now all of a sudden these these numbers are continuously rising and the scary part is the children the children who you know are 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 coming down with these diseases i mean even cancer and uh multiple sclerosis and and all these horrible things and and now there is studies although they are limited because uh well a lot of people aren't getting grants to do these studies to to link things like you know GMO uh because there's people who don't want these studies done i mean it's they just don't want them and oh, they I... don't want huh
4: Yeah, I I agree there. And, you know, there's no doubt that our food supply, you know, has gone the wrong direction. Uh, You know, I don't think anybody can, you know, deny that our foods are a great source of harm to us now. And it would be very difficult to even – even eating truly organic, you don't
3: even know if it's truly organic. And it makes it difficult. Well, I mean, supposedly... No, I agree with you. I mean, how do you you have to have a certain level of trust? Or, I mean, you wouldn't end up eating anything if... if, uh, Exactly. Sometimes sometimes I feel like that. But... You know, you you have to have a certain level of trust. If something says it's organic, you know, um, eat it. I mean, what can I say? That's why Alan started the Garden in the Back, because we know that's organic. And also, um, you're going to be very interested, and so is our audience on um, one of our guests that we have scheduled. Uh, He's going to talk about his uh, uh, organic, it's it's not a garden, it's uh, aquaponics. Uh, it, I don't know. I was just amazed when I was talking to him the other day, and he's going to be our guest. And then you would know that those are are, are organic. But yeah, that's coming up in uh, coming up in January. But Laura, Eddie,
2: Eddie in the uh, chat room has a really great question. He um, he wanted you to. Uh, he was asking you if you would discuss tips on identifying a diabetic emergency what it is, how to identify it, and how to help someone in that situation. A
4: diabetic emergency, I guess either a very low or a
2: very high. Yeah, I mean, I guess one, I mean, uh, I mean, I know, uh, you know, people can get lethargic, they can pass yes. out. I mean, I know those are some identifying, but uh, do you know of any others?
4: Uh, well, when your blood sugars are high, oh, it can cause blurry vision, it can cause irrational behavior. The higher the blood sugar goes, the more lethargic you're going to be, tired, uh, restless, can't sleep, urinating a lot, dehydration, dehydration in itself. We know, you know, it can lead to a lot of problems. So, you know, the the best thing to do is, you know, if you can if you think you're at a severe level. I mean, go to a clinic. Um, you know, usually Walmart you can park in and there's something you know, something close by you can get to. Have yourself checked out or go to an emergency room if you think it's that high and you think it's that serious enough. And I will say this blood sugars high over normal are serious. And but the longer they stay there, the more serious it gets, and the more damage that is done so if he's talking and asking about high blood sugars um I'm not real sure well you
2: know it's a it's a really good thought provoking question I mean,
4: specifically
2: on uh, uh type two and high blood high blood sugar levels, because many of those signs, just like you pointed out. Uh, an, uh, I'm not, an observer uh, may not know. I mean, the blurry vision, the lethargic, the fatigue—that uh, would be hard for an observer to know unless they really know that person. Now, I know me. Um, you know, people were emailing me. Where did you get those uh, blood sugar level pictures that you had that we have in the rotating show? You know, those photos in the show that are rotating, and um, uh, those are pictures from my from my blood sugar test uh, uh showing 210 and 103 and uh it's it's interesting you said vision because the number one the number one way I can tell that my blood sugar is high is that my vision is blurry but now if Eddie's in the room how would he know that so exactly. i guess i guess one way to do that i mean if you know the person and uh they're they they're generally, you know, upbeat and you know, um, you know, this kind of thing. If they're if they appear to you as being let, let, lethargic or maybe not able to concentrate or you know, just acting a little bit out of the normal,
3: sometimes they get really like irrational.
2: Yeah, just like Laura was saying. I mean, if if you know the person, I guess you could identify it and go, you know, are you feeling all right or and just come right on that, come right out and ask them, you know, are you diabetic? But uh, that would be that's – a, that's a good question on type 2 and high blood sugar. Now, low blood sugar, uh, you know, I know someone who has that, and they have – it has gotten so low that they have passed out at work and fallen off their chair, so that's pretty obvious. But, I
3: think you start getting shaky and Well, and uh, sweaty, right? Don't you get like a little yeah, sweaty, wet, shaky? Mm-hmm.
4: It is, people who have hypose hypoglycemia, which – People with diabetes can, especially type ones when they're on insulin, but type twos, I have episodes of low blood sugar. Um, sometimes you become hypo unaware. Um, you know, most people do feel a little shaky. Um, I, the only symptom I really show is I sweat. When I hit under 60, when I get into the 50s, I start sweating, but other than that, I feel fine. Um, you know, yeah, and.
2: That's one of the good signs too, the sweating. I mean, uh, yes. And and I mean, it's pretty obvious in the situation of you know the person I know, they're they're very sweaty, they're they're sitting there like dozing off, about to fall out of their chair. That's pretty obvious. High blood sugar. It's with, not. You no, know, it's not. So that was that's a really good question. I guess if if you if you know that person and they're just not acting the way that they normally do, uh, I guess the best thing to do, Laura, you correct me, but just to ask them hey are you feeling okay are you diabetic
4: yeah and here's here's the problem is that because with a type 2 diabetic well let's just go over the types real quick yeah since since we're talking about it It, Mm -hmm. we have type type 1 diabetes which is autoimmune where the basically the body turns on itself it attacks the beta cells in the pancreas and it very rapidly kills those beta cells. Those beta cells are what produces insulin in our bodies. Um, That insulin is needed to get the glucose in our blood into our cells to be used for energy. Um, You know, in children we see it. We also see type 1 in adults. But when the autoimmune in type 1 happens, it's very rapid, and so it comes on very quickly, not within like a matter, matter of minutes, but, you know, it could be weeks, it could be months, it, it could be six months. But that child or that adult, it, rapid weight loss, um, is same, a lot of the same symptoms as as some uh, type 2 with high blood sugar. Um, but with type 1, what happens is there is no insulin. The body has to fend for itself, basically, and the fat has to be used for energy. And when the fat is used very quickly, it turns into ketoacidosis, DKA, and that is life-threatening. If untreated, that person will die. If they do not have insulin in their body, that person is going to die. Now, under type 1, we have type 1.5 or LATA, L, all caps, L-A-D-A, latent autoimmune, autoimmune diabetes of adults. It is similar to type 1 in that it also is an autoimmune that attacks the beta cells in the pancreas. The difference is they have found in LADAs that it's slower. It's a much slower progression. So a lot of times it is the majority of time diagnosed in adults, but they're misdiagnosed as type 2. And because partly they don't have as high a blood sugar as somebody with type 1 would because it is slower at attacking those beta cells and killing them off. Um, And so they're originally treated as a type 2 and put on oral medications. And some do, you know, quite well for, you know, maybe a month, maybe two years. But it's progressively quick and quickly gets worse and they eventually go on to insulin now there are ways to check that they have what's called a GAD GAD antibody test and it basically checks for the anti antibodies present within the body it doesn't need to be a certain amount it just checks if those antibodies are present if those antibodies are present then that's type 1 with type 2 at the genetic basis of it, although we hear that insulin resistance is the beginning of type 2, it actually is the beta cells that start dying off in type 2 because of genetics. And many, many genes are, are affected. When type 2 diabetes starts, most people are not aware. They're not diagnosed because it's much slower. They call type 2 a silent because it takes much longer for those blood sugars to start developing into the high out-of-normal range. Once those beta cells stop producing the insulin needed, the blood sugar can't get in, into the cells to be used for energy, thus you have high blood sugar levels. The pancreas cannot regenerate itself because of the, the genetics and cannot reproduce more beta cells so you have less and less Well insulin. there's where the
3: controversy lies yes. because um I've read where um with you if you keep away you know st- stick to your um strict diet stay away from wheat products and I'm talking about people who are really you know sticking to it uh staying away from the the hydro- hydrogenated oils eating organic Uh, low carbohydrates staying away from all wheat like I said and your body can uh, regenerate those um, beta cells if if you in other words if if your diabetes and and I do believe that you like I said that there is some kind of genetic um, linking to this but if your diabetes was caused by an overexposure of what whatever that could be whether it be the harmful pesticides or the gmos if you start removing that from your bo- from your body from your environment eating healthy there is um statistics or data that that uh suggests that your beta cells can regenerate well now, in every yeah. I'm sorry no that's okay go ahead
4: well in everything You know, that I've researched and read, a lot of times when they say that they can regenerate, they don't really know. But we do know that with a very low-carb diet, very healthy eating, and when necessary, oral medications, which is the majority of the time, that by decreasing the workload on that pancreas, by decreasing the amount of carbs and the amount of food That is taken in that those beta cells can then keep up with the workload. So they may not regenerate themselves, but now they're able to keep up with the workload. Now, with just regular type 2 diabetes, with a genetic defect, Eve, it's a progressive disease. So over the years, those beta cells are going to die off. But
3: when you do That's low carb, it's totally ge- genetic.
4: Oh yeah, but let me let me finish though. You know, when it's purely genetic, that you know those bio- beta cells aren't going to reproduce themselves. I mean, we know that. We know it's progressive, but if the beta cells are damaged because of the GMOs or because of the toxins or you know, in my husband's case, a beta blocker it did the Uh damage to his pancreas. Now, he's not going to get those beta cells back because it did damage to his pancreas. But with the toxins, if it did damage those beta cells, even though you're not going to regenerate new beta cells, you're not going to be progressively getting any worse either. See the difference? Because the damage is done, but then we now have stopped the damage. So once you choose to do the foods that you need to do to stop those da- damage and you stop the oils or the G- GMOs and the toxins and the preservatives, yes, the damage is done. But whether or not those can be regenerated or not hasn't been proven, but we do know it can be stopped and you're okay. not going to lose anymore, if that makes sense.
3: I Well, I had, I had always learned, you know, in um, I'd have to really research this because this is very interesting, that I was under the impression that your body can regenerate itself. I think nerve is the only um, tissue that that can't regenerate. And I've even heard instances of that where it's uh, regenerated. So anyway, this is a very, very interesting um, theory uh, topic, and um, I, I'm really going to, I mean, I've read it, and I didn't pay it much attention. I just took it as fact when it said the pancreas beta cells can be regenerated and just took it as fact, but but now that you're saying this, I think I really want to look at it and see, you know, where are those facts are all coming from and investigate it further.
4: Yeah, and I think I think it's you know interesting when we do find out that, you know, if it is the beta cells have been damaged or uh the ability for da- beta cells to actually uh replenish themselves, if that is due to environment, then you know, I think it'd be interesting to find out how quickly are they damaged, but at the same time, once we start doing the healthier things to help nourish our body and put those nutrients back in, how quickly can we get that to return and I think right. that would be very interesting because we do know that our bodies can heal themselves. I mean when somebody has a blockage, you know arteries will new arteries will form and form themselves around that blockage.
3: Right, right. So That's we, what I'm saying. Your body is so I- incredibly, uh, what's the word um, I'm looking for? It's um, very
4: resilient and resistance resistant, and it, it wants to survive.
3: I it mean, it does. It's, <laughs> and yes, and so it it it's gonna do amazing things that um, I think we we're not even aware of. So <clears throat> I'm just. I mean this is this is all like I'm not, you know, a doctor or a nutritionist or anything like that, but I read a lot. And you have to be very careful when you do read because you want to get different um viewpoints on things. You know, you can't take everything you read as facts. But if you read it a few times and from a few different reputable sources, then you can start to, you know, feel confident. Uh, that that it's true, but I, I haven't gone that far with the regeneration of of the pancreatic cells. So I would I would personally need to read up on that because I find yeah, it and very...
4: I and I am sure there are like I said, my husband is one of them. Uh, you know, they linked it to a beta blocker, uh, Toprol, which did the damage to his pancreas. Um, you know, the damage is done. So with that stopped, we haven't seen in the last five years that. You know, his diabetes has gotten better, but maybe it's 10 years. I don't know. Maybe it can, and hopefully it will, and, you know, that would be great. But I think it's a lot quicker that we harm our bodies, Yeah. and it takes much longer to heal them, unfortunately.
3: I I, I, agree. Um, Yeah,
4: it's very quick. We all know it's very quick. You can put on a few pounds, but to take those few pounds off, is slow and
3: tedious yeah yeah, <laughs> That's for sure
4: yeah well now wh- what I want people to understand about type 2 diabetes and I know we're talking mainly about type 2 because most of our drivers have type 2 I have a few out there I know that are type 1 um, but most are type 2 the basic thing about type 2 that people need to understand whether just diagnosed possibly will become diagnosed or already maybe five years, ten years. Diet and exercise alone, in the majority of people, are not going to work. The, at the basic level, we have to understand our bodies. Yes, some type 2s have insulin resistance. I don't believe it's as many as they claim. Um, but with that, we have beta cell dysfunction. We don't have the beta cells regenerating themselves. They don't have the insulin needed. So depending on when the person is actually diagnosed, how long they've had diabetes, you know, they may have had diabetes 10 years before being diagnosed. But the statistics show us the research, the you know, everything indicates that when a type 2 diabetic is diagnosed, that the beta cell beta cells have already at are already at a 30 to 80% loss so the person has to understand that okay now that i have diabetes what does that mean it means that you don't have the insulin capability needed to process those foods that, are your, that you're putting in your mouth. And that's why low-carb is so important. It doesn't mean that you can't ever eat carbs. It just means lower carb. You have to find the load capacity for the insulin you're producing. So, you know, you, and how you do that is with your meter. Every person, whether pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic, Type 1, every person needs to have a meter. Every person needs to use it. It's a tool to our benefit. And how we use that tool is we check our blood sugar before we eat. It should be between 70 and 90, not anything more above. After we eat, at one hour, it should be some people check at one, some people check at two. Preferred to check at one, that's the best. I check at 1 and 2. Um, it needs to be preferably under 140, preferably under 120. But the ACE, ACE American, uh, oh, I always stumble on that one, and I don't know
3: why. It's the endocrinologist <laughs> association you're talking about, yes, the not en- American diabetic. And I really wanted right. to get into that, too. That that was the next thing I was going to ask about those two associations, but go ahead. I don't
4: want to. Okay, the guidelines, you know, state that a diabetic should have near normal or normal blood sugar levels. So even if you have diabetes, treat first enforcement, first and foremost treatment is food. You have to learn how the food affects your body. You have to learn how 15 grams of fruit or 15 grams of vegetables affect your body. The goal for every diabetic is to have normal blood sugar levels, and right. that's where the meter comes in. We check, we check, we check, we check every day. We don't ever step, stop checking. I'm going on 26 years now, and I haven't stopped checking, so it never ends. I mean, and that's and we were talking about myths. Uh, That is, unfortunately, a big popular myth that you can reverse or cure your diabetes. Um, I have never seen it. Um, Usually what happens is when a person says they're cured or somebody says that a person has been cured, that person is able to get off medication because their blood sugars have been in the normal range for a while, and that is possible. Unfortunately, a lot of people are taken off medication too soon, and what they find very quickly is that their blood sugars start rising again, because their body just does not have the capability of handling it alone. That's what the medication I, I, is. A for. lot of people
3: they're cured because they're they're eating what their body can tolerate. In other words, yeah, you're cured because you're not eating carbs and you're you're eating protein and you're staying away from um everything that you can possibly stay away from that's unhealthy. And uh and so you have normal blood sugar now. You, yes. you know? I mean but, that I guess you can put that in the category of being cured. However, to be true actually
4: cured. managing.
3: You're yes. managing
4: your diabetes.
3: Yeah, and they don't have to take insulin or even oral meds anymore. Um, but actually, if they started to eat a lot of carbs again, it, it would probably, you know, be bad. Yes. Where and that's not being cured. You're just exactly right. So you, you'd have to define the word cure, uh, and I think that's where the the um, Miscommunication, you know, people get confused.
4: Yes, but, and people you know, like if it makes you feel
3: good to say you're cured because you're managing it. You know, that's good.
4: <laughs> that, but keep it to yourself only because it confuses other people. And unfortunately, you know, yes, I think it's great that anybody can manage their diabetes with diet and exercise. If you don't have to take any medications, that's great, and that's wonderful. But the problem. Lies in that not everybody can. So we have a lot of people saying they're cured when it's just being controlled. And so doctors even tell patients, you can reverse it. You can, you know, you just need to lose weight. You just need to eat healthier. You can reverse. When they say reverse, they're meaning get your blood sugars in normal levels. Right. Well, that can be very detrimental to a lot of people. And I went through this myself because. I know we were going through the types of diabetes. I have what is suspected to be a very rare form of diabetes called MODY, all caps, M O D Y, mature onset diabetes of the young. Purely genetic. It's caused by one genetic defect passed on down through the family line through my mother and her mother and the mother before. So, but for four generations now, we have all been diagnosis type two we do have overweight issues in our family that is the only thing we show similar to type two so for so many years i thought if i just lose weight if i just ate lower carb if i did this if i did that if i did this if i did i could be like everybody else everybody else gets to manage their diabetes with very little medications or no medications and i can't and when you see people getting off of your medic off of medications and you don't understand your own body it is very difficult to deal with and people can develop depression uh high blood sugars can cause depression so it's really important for people to understand first you have to understand what's going on in your own body Second, you have to understand you cannot compare yourself to anybody else. For one, there's so many differences when that person was diagnosed, when you were diagnosed. How many genetic defects are involved in that person's versus yours? I mean, there's too many to discuss. The best thing is just to know that you're doing the absolute best job that you can do with what you know, what you've been told, and have normal blood sugar readings. That's the most important thing.
3: You, and, you know, uh, another thing I was reading is um, if you start on meds too soon, in other words, instead of uh, first attempting, uh, when you're just like, you know, a little a little little high, you know, you're not really blown away in the two, three hundreds or like that, but you're, you know, maybe high hundreds or something like that. And rather than attempt a extremely low, uh, especially complex carbohydrate diet, in other words, eat your vegetables and some fruit and meat, lean meats and watch your oils and, you know, like that, that if you jump the gun too quickly and start medication, that it actually can um, suppress your, uh, your pancreas from, uh, you know, making more beta cells. It kind of makes it almost lazy because it's depending on, you know, the, the uh, oral medication. So, um, you read that? Have you? Have you heard no. That? In fact, the studies
4: actually show that insulin should actually be used a lot sooner than it is. Um, a lot of times now they do use insulin sooner than ever before, but it actually helps to relax that pancreas so the mm-hmm. pancreas isn't having to work so hard so the insulin injected is actually doing the work but once those blood sugars go come down with the use of other oral meds the person's able to get off of the insulin and then start reducing the other meds and some people do very well with that regimen um now as far as making the pancreas i mean i haven't read anything to that effect
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I do know there is literature, and there are a lot of people that do believe that a certain class of drugs um, that actually forces your pancreas to produce more insulin, that by doing that and taking that medication, that it can burn out those cells quicker, and which, in a sense, it does make sense because – if you're forcing the pancreas to do more than what it can already do, and part of the problem is the beta cells dying off and not being able to regenerate themselves, and then you're taking this medicine that's making it do even more, they're they're going to die off sooner. Right. And, you know, so there is, there is that theory. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of actual data on that to actually confirm although you know there's a strong possibility that that is true you know okay. unfortunately unfortunately you know there's side effects to our, all pharmaceutical medications we are very thankful for the many that we do have that that we need um but we know that there's side effects, and we have to weigh those consequences. We have to look at what's best for us, look at those consequences, look at those side effects, and talk that over with you, doctor, and see if that is something you're willing to do. Unfortunately, as truck drivers with diabetes, we can't just make the choice to go on insulin because we're not allowed to drive and take insulin. We can get a waiver, but that is very lengthy to do and not all companies, very few companies, in fact,
3: will accept that waiver from the government. So, you know, when, when you, you say a, in, you're talking about the um, injections, right?
4: yeah no, Let me explain. Um, insulin is injected. It, it's actually now a synthetic insulin. Um, there are a few other in, injectables that are not insulin. I take one of them, which is Victoza, and basically what it does is slows down the emptying of the stomach so the food is not absorbed as fast so I don't have to rely on a whole lot of insulin to break all that down. Okay. Um, Bieta, which is similar to Victoza. It's along the same lines. And then you have one which is uh, simlin, which is another injectable, which is not insulin, uh, but it actually helps get the It's similar to and bieta, that it slows down the emptying, but it helps to get the insulin into those cells better. So there's three injectables type 2 have available. Um, The other oral meds, the most common, is glucophage or the generic metformin. Most everybody who gets diagnosed with diabetes starts on metformin. What metformin does is it slows down the amount of glucose our liver produces and it also in in pretty much they they really don't know all the benefits of metformin although they do know that it reduces the glucose and that it helps with insulin resistance um so that's the first line defense and then you have the other class class of drugs the sulfonylureas, which are glimipride, glipizide, and some of those others. Those are what work on the pancreas to force that pancreas to produce more and more uh, insulin.
3: So, what, and it, what's insulin? I'm sorry? Humulin. Have you heard of humulin? Humulin is a type of insulin, yes. Okay. And uh, which category? Which which category just yes. fall in? it forces the the pancreas to produce more
4: no no human is just is insulin it's injected oh, okay. yeah oh okay um, yeah you it. have yeah you have a basal insulin which is your background insulin everybody produces a background insulin um your basal that's you know constantly being produced throughout the day to keep our energy um then you have basal. I don't. If you've ever heard anybody, basal, excuse me, bolus. If you've ever heard anybody say, "I need a bolus for that," they're talking about that. It's it's a first and second phase insulin. When you, as soon as you start eating, insulin's being produced, and then after you finish your meal, even more insulin's produced. Well, when you bolus, inject insulin, that's the the other phase of the insulin because so you have. Basically, three phases, but you inject two different types of phases when you're when you're type one or type one point five or even type two. There are many type two that have to eventually will go on insulin
3: now um, I was reading in an article that um all 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 prescribed forms right now on the market are uh, being created from the genetically modified organism e coli And uh, prior to that, they were extracted um, from from animals, and now we don't do that anymore. They do it in Canada, but not in the U.S. Very
4: rarely, yeah. It is still available in Canada, although I hear that it is still very difficult to get even in Canada. The problem is the pharmaceutical companies decided that it was much more profitable, and it was much easier, and they could produce more if it – if they chose to do a synthetic form of insulin. So that's okay, what we that, have now. We don't have a choice in in the United States. I mean, we only have, you know, different types of insulin,
3: but they're all
4: synthetics.
3: It's kind of scary though, um when you when you realize that it's it's uh created from a genetically modified organism. I mean, I well, don't know.
4: You know, it is, but at the same time you got to be really thankful because if we didn't have the insulin, we'd have a whole lot of people dying. So, you know, as far as I can see, the new insulins, the synthetics, you know, the only thing that they do not have that the the other type of insulin had is the chain of C-peptide. Um, you know, when the insulin produce, is produced, we have something that's called C-peptide. Um that our bodies need I don't know I don't know a whole lot about it as to how it actually functions or why we need it, but I do know that the now the synthetic insulins do not have the c peptide chain needed
3: okay let, so, me, uh,
2: let me jump in here real quick. I got some uh questions from the chat room uh one's one's asking um and this kind of brought up what I had mentioned earlier about um you know, just the, the motivation and actually doing this, especially, you know, living a life out on the road in a truck. But the question is the he's saying that the biggest problem they have is keeping themselves actually caring about dealing, you know, with this uh with this diabetes issue. And they were wondering how how you deal with this. I mean how do you keep yourself motivated and caring about uh you know, dealing with your diabetes.
4: I know this is a big problem with a lot of people, partly because as blood sugars continue to elevate, if they don't take care of themselves and manage those blood sugars and try to get them down, the higher the blood sugars you're going to get, the more depression you're going to have, and which makes it even more difficult. For me, I guess because I have been doing this for so long, I'm, in, I'm going into my 26 years of having diabetes. I've been around diabetes all, my actual entire life because when I was before I was born, my grandmother was diagnosed with diabetes. So, and then about the same year, my mother, as I was diagnosed, my mother was diagnosed. So I've seen many aunts and uncles. I've seen my grandmother struggle with it. Um, I never wanted to struggle. Um, that's why I've dedicated so many years to learning as much as I have. I saw my mother struggle. I saw my grandmother struggle. I've seen great uncles, everybody in my family that has diabetes. And let me explain everybody. Um, my mother, my, I have one brother. I have two brothers. One brother has diabetes. Um, my mother, her sister, and four brothers. All five of my, all six of my grandmother's children had diabetes. My grandmother, her six of eight brothers had diabetes, as well as my great grandmother. And everybody in my family I have seen struggle and have severe complications. And I didn't want that for myself. And being married. I feel that it is selfish of myself if I don't take care of myself. If I just choose to do whatever I want to, I'm being really selfish. And I'm going to have to rely on somebody to take care of myself and that's not fair to my husband. So that's what motivates me.
2: Well, and also, you know, as I mentioned in the earlier show, I mean, the you I you know, I just I think a lot of people just don't take it serious enough even the type 2, but uh, you know, that recent study out of Johns Hopkins saw an increase, uh, saw a 20% increase in people who have lost their vision, so I think that alone could, uh, you know, could be a, you know, it should be a motivation. Let me try to get a caller here in here see see uh, area code 314 in Missouri. Uh been holding a while, but go ahead. Welcome to the show.
5: Hey, this is Eddie. How are you?
2: Oh, hey, Eddie. How you doing?
5: I'm doing great. I, I jumped off the chat room there for a minute, so I wasn't sure. Was well, how, how, did, how, did you li-
2: how did you like that attack in the chat room?
5: <laughs> you must be very popular, I would say.
2: I think I've got it under control now, but uh, I'll be talking with a blog talk radio about that. But I just kind of laugh it off and, and think, well, I must be getting popular, huh?
5: That must be it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just had a couple... <laughs> I just had a couple yeah, questions. Uh, uh, thanks, uh, Laura, for the great information about the diabetes. I think uh, she must have done some research because it's very in-depth, uh, very, very informative and encouraging. Uh, I just had a couple questions, and you might have answered it already. Uh, I was wondering, are there any special bracelets or rings, uh, things that diabetics can wear just to identify themselves that they're diabetic? Yeah. Uh, you know, sim- similar to what we see. Uh, you know, people who have a heart, you know, pacemaker, they wear, so so you always know, hey, hey, don't uh, uh, take that person too roughly or something like that. You know, are there such things? Yes. And then, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh,
4: go ahead. Yeah, let me briefly discuss that. Um, okay. Yes, I, I myself wear a bracelet. I make my husband wear a bracelet. I've worn a bracelet for years. There are many different websites that uh, you can get medical ID bracelets and basically you're just looking for a medical ID bracelet that can be engraved or that you can put diabetes on Um, if you are type 2 all you need on there is type 2 diabetes and maybe uh, if you are on metformin that is something very um, important for, for the medical profession to know because metformin affects the liver so if you have to have any in an emergency if you have to have any Uh, procedures with dye they need to know that you're on metformin so that would be the one big thing if you are on metformin I would put it on the bracelet otherwise I would just put type 2 diabetes carry in your wallet at all times or ladies in your purse a list of all medications you take and your diagnosis of type 2 diabetes or whatever information that needs to be shared with somebody in case you're in accident you know when we're in a truck Um, You know, a lot of people carry everything in their wallet or purse, but when we're in a truck, we need something specifically on us because we could get separated for that information. Um, I will post on my website this weekend different sites to get those bracelets.
5: Great. Uh, The other question I had was, uh, as it relates to truck drivers, is uh, diabetes considered one of those conditions that can cause a driver to fail a DOT physical and uh, what what kind of levels or uh, what stage of diabetes would they be looking at in order to fail you as a driver and, um, you know, can diabetes be cured or controlled to a point where a patient will not need extended care or they can go back on the road or something like that? What's, uh, what's your experience with that?
4: Most of the time what happens is, um, especially for drivers, that's when they're going to be diagnosed with diabetes, is when they go and get their DOT physical. And what happens is you're asked to do a urine test. They put a stick in that urine to see if any sugar is detectable, not an amount or anything like that. It's just if any amount is detectable. Um, Usually it has to be a pretty high range Um, for sugar to be detectable in the urine, I know for me my blood sugars have to be in the very high 300s for that sugar to be detected. Some people can be lower than that, into the 200s. Depending on what the blood sugar is, if, if sugar is detected in that urine at the time of the physical, most likely the doctor will then either order for you to have an A1C, which is three-month average of what your blood sugars have been, or they will just use a meter and prick your finger and get a little blood and get an immediate reading. Um, depending on the doctor, unfortunately we have no set DOT rules saying what each doctor is to do. We don't really have very good guidelines. So basically it is up to the doctor. We know that anything over 140 is considered, you know, abnormal, um, high blood sugar. So that doctor, if he realizes that you didn't even know that you had diabetes and your blood sugar is 160 or 180, he may go ahead and pass you and tell you to go get it checked out. Um, If it's higher than that, He may not pass you and he may require that you go seek medical attention and then you will have to go back to that same DOT officer or officer, excuse me, DOT medical official, um, the doctor, and provide the necessary information that you now are under a doctor's treatment and you're getting treated and that you have blocked brought your blood sugars down. so there's many different ways depending like I said the clinic, the doctor, how it actually will take place. Um, the biggest thing is if you know that you do get medical attention um, here's something drivers need to pay attention to. For those already diagnosed with diabetes, um, make sure you plan your doctor's visits, your regular doctor visits before you go get your dot physical um if you have high blood pressure you're on medication for high blood pressure make sure you have your routine every six months or three months however many months you're going in to see your doctor do that before you do your dot physical because a lot of times what i'm seeing is they don't they go get their DOT physical, their blood pressure is too high, they need their medication regulated, their blood sugar's all out of whack, and they're not going to pass. And if that happens and you're out on the road somewhere thousands of miles from home, that's not a good thing. So just keep that in mind and make sure you do your checkups with your doctor before you do your DOT physical. Well,
2: uh, let me ask you, and thanks, Eddie. I had, I had to mute you. We were getting a lot of background noise, but th- those were good questions. and. It, it was a uh, made me think. You know, he mentioned he asked about the bracelets. At what at what blood sugar level should one uh, be concerned enough to uh, wear, you know, a, a diabetes uh, identification bracelet? Um,
4: any if you're pre diabetic, I can. I mean, most of us consider that diabetes. So, if you've ever been diagnosed with pre diabetes or diabetes, you need to wear one. You need. It's something that partly because if there is an accident, if you have to go to the hospital and you are unconscious, um, especially somebody who has really high blood sugars and they're out, of, not in control, um, when you go to the hospital, they give you IV solutions that are filled with sugar. So that's just going to raise your blood sugar and you're unaware. You're out of it. You can't tell them. And, you know, they need to properly treat you while you're in there. So it is important. And it is important they know that you have diabetes for a lot of other reasons. So I would say anybody that has diabetes, wear a bracelet, wear a necklace. I know a lot of people are getting tattoos. Um, I'm hearing that more EMTs are actually now looking for tattoos on the arms. Um, You know, I'm not a tattoo person, but some people are, so that may be a thought. Um, you know, having diabetes tattooed on your arm or something—I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I um, may,
2: I may, I may pass on that. But let me ask yeah, you—I uh, got some time time winding down here. But um, I, there's a, a couple things I want to touch on. First, let's quickly—I I want to get this. Uh, one one of the people in the chat room had a question. I want to get that in here real quick. Uh, he was. Uh, let me see if I can find it here, so I can get it correct. Um, Let me see. Uh, They have the problem with understanding all the things they can and cannot eat. So they just do their best, uh, you know, but they know that they're going to have more trouble sometime. Is there a website or do you offer it on the uh, ATDDA.org site of a list of, uh, you know, things they can eat and can't eat, some kind of guideline like that?
4: I do a little bit, but not specifically. um, I'll put Together a little bit easier. Um, I'm putting together some booklets now that this next year I can actually get out to drivers, so they don't always have to get online. That's one of my projects this this year is to get actually printed material out, so drivers can have them on hand. Um, the best. Okay, but that- I do I do think I t-
2: it, I, I kind of remember, or or am I just making it up? I thought I saw some kind of a, you know even just a short list or something on your. Uh, uh, there is website,
4: yeah, there is, and I have some healthy food options, you know, breaking down the different food groups um the one biggest thing to remember um is vegetables have the least you know vegetables have the least amount, protein is always good meats, cheeses um, high
2: low low carbs
4: basically learning to live low carb um you know one piece of bread for me. Um it's gonna raise my blood sugar. One piece of bread has, you know, anywhere if you can get find a low carb bread, some of them might have twelve grams of carbs per slice up to anywhere to twenty grams per slice. Um one gram of bread for me, um, at 12, 12 grams of carbs is gonna raise my raise my blood sugar thirty points. So that's Well where so some,
2: would would something like the um Oh, something like the Atkins diet, is that too extreme, or is that something good for uh, diabetics?
4: Well, it's a good guideline, yes. Um, A lot of people don't like to follow it because they think they're restricted too much. Uh And, you know, I don't like to tell people that they can't eat something. What I like to teach them is that there's reasons why they shouldn't eat that food or foods in that particular food group. So, learning that maybe you can have three little crackers just so you can have some crackers with that meal is much better than just eating a whole bunch of crackers and not caring. I would much rather that that person keep it lower carb, but if they just have to have that cereal they cannot do without that cereal in the morning, have that quarter cup or that half cup of cereal if you just have to. Let's load you up on protein with that meal just so you can have that cereal, because if you don't have that cereal, you're just going to be horrible the rest of the day. Well, we, you know, so you have to learn to make the – learn to tailor your meals the best way you can in the – Best low carb fashion that you can, and the only way to do that is to test before you eat and to test after you eat, and just know that every meal is going to be different. It takes it takes a while to do this. It's a process. You're not going to get it in just one meal or two weeks. It's over time, but you're learning about your body. You're it, it, basically we have a, a workload capacity. We can only give our body so much work and then it's overworked, and we wanted, we don't want to overwork it. We want to save our beta cells. We want to be able to have good blood sugars, eat healthy. You don't have to eliminate everything. You're going to have to eliminate a lot of things because you want to be healthy.
2: Yeah, I mean, once you start placing restrictions like that, I mean, if you, if you make the list of uh, – what you should not eat that's going to knock out probably 90 90% of our food supply but but you can't do it in moderation
4: yes and here here's here's the other part to that too um unfortunately in the diabetes community we have been led to believe that high carb is better um high carb because we need all these grains because we need all these fi- all this fiber that's why they tell us to eat whole grains
3: we need fiber
4: well
3: you don't. can get I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't need all those whole grains no. and all that whole wheat bread and I mean it's just it's just a joke. But go ahead. It I, is, I' I couldn't help but but say something.
4: Yeah, no, what's important to know is that you can get plenty of fiber out of vegetables. And if you do like fruit, you can incorporate a small amount of fruit at each meal. Vegetables and fruit are very important in nutrition because of the nutrients, for one, and they project, they provide us with digestive enzymes. So a good way to eat your meal, especially for a diabetic, eat your protein first, chicken, fish, even if you want to have red meat every once in a while, eat the red meat. Eat your protein and your fat. first. First, let it start digesting. That takes much, much longer to be used for energy. Then eat your vegetables the very last you eat your fruit. Incorporate some beans in there. You know, half a cup of beans is going to yield 20 to 28 grams of carbs, you know, per half cup to a cup, depending on the on the source of beans. But you're getting a full, complete meal.
2: Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you two real quick cuz I'm just watching the time here and this is just some questions that's popped, you know, that I've been thinking about and and uh find interesting. This this uh, a1c test um uh the a1c test supposed to be done every 3 months. I um uh, I guess right now uh my blood sugar had gotten up to 210. That's that's the that's the photo that's in the uh show broadcast, the description. And I took a a1c test uh quite a while back, and it was 7.0. I know it's supposed; it should be less than 6%. It was 7.0. Donna, how long ago was it that I took that, that last A1C test?
3: Mm, boy, I would guess about three months ago.
2: Well, that's what I was thinking. So uh, so right now, my blood sugar is averaging, uh, I mean, for the time period between my first A1C test and the one I just took three or four months ago, uh, I was I was keeping my blood sugar averaging probably between 103 and 125. So when I took my second A1C test, I was expecting it to be under 7.0 at least, but it came out to be 7.1, which I, I thought that it was kind of a shocker because uh, I was keeping my blood sugar at a pretty decent level. But
3: well, did the over-the-counter one? Don't forget, and and I'm curious to know the um the bent error uh, the bear
4: did you do yeah. the bear one the bears are actually very reliable okay um, Well, this, was here, my, this
2: this was my I, point here real quick because i had run into a driver uh oh a couple of weeks or so ago and got to talking about things like this and he had he was diabetic and uh i don't know at what level but uh, I asked him what his A1C was, and he just kind of blew it off. Said, "Oh, he doesn't really mess with that because he, you know, he uses his meter." But the A1C, I wanted to, uh, you know, just confirm with you. I mean, that's that. That's really very, very important because it gives a more accurate uh, snapshot of where your uh, diabet- diabetes is at. Correct
3: over time. Well,
4: yeah. yeah. Yes and no, but you make a really good point because. A1C should be used as a tool um, as well as our self-testing, but together they can give us a better picture. So in your case you took it, you did take the home one, it may be off a little bit, you know, maybe it wasn't a good one, but let's say it is. Um, Your meter could be off. So you may actually be reading under what you actually are. So that's why we use both as a tool. So we can see where we're at now what I do is I keep my blood sugars where I actually email them to my doctor and I do do occasionally do use the bare a1c home check and what I'll do at the time that I do my a1c is I'll send him in my blood sugar results and then he reviews everything and lets me know if everything's in line so you actually do need both
2: can I ask you? I mean, and you don't have to answer this. I mean, it's a, it's a personal question, but I'm just real curious. I'm kind of relating you with me. And if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Just say you know, no, that's that's personal. I don't want to answer it. I was just wondering what is uh, your your average? What are what are what is your blood sugar level averaging? And again, if, you know, if you don't want to answer that, that's fine. <laughs>
4: That's really a hard question. It's not and I don't mind to answer it. Um my last A1C which uh was in October was 6.7, which was up from 5.7. So it went up we're adjusting my meds again. My blood sugars just absolutely vary. Um, I can have blood my, pretty much in the morning um, my blood sugars are back up again I was doing really good keeping them around 90 to 120 um, but my meds are starting to wear off and we're going to have to adjust meds again so I'm, I'm, well, I'm running about 150 in the morning um, but I can go anywhere to 220 down to 50 so I don't okay, have well, a consistent Okay, well, most well, I, people I pr- do
2: yeah, I appreciate you answering that. I mean, I, I I know it was kind of a personal question, but I was kind of wanting to weigh it against mine because mine's probably averaging one oh three, one twenty five. Sometimes I'll check it; it's eighty nine. And I was just wondering how your levels were compared to mine, and and they're not really that much of a difference. But no. you're on meds, and Donna, I'm not on meds, so right. When 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 should the meds come into play? Is that just at your doctor's discretion, or
4: uh, at both? Um, okay. A lot of times doctors will tell you that at the level that you're at, you don't need med- medication. Um, I would look at it a different way. Your blood sugars are still higher than normal. And a normal blood sugar A1C um, should be roughly around 4.5, I think it is. 4.5 um,
2: to 6, correct? Uh, no, 4.5. Oh, Okay.
4: Yeah, so we hear under seven or under six. That's just allowing us to have higher blood sugars. That's not normal blood sugar readings. So, but, and that's where the confusion lies because any blood sugars that stay above normal for any length of time cause damage to the body. That is why it is so important to have normal blood sugars. So, whatever that takes, If it starts with diet and that's not enough and we start adding in oral medications and then if you can go on to insulin without doing a whole lot of orals, if you don't drive a truck, that would be best Um, because you want normal blood sugars. Now, you know, for you, what you need to do, what I would suggest, check your blood sugars before you eat. Check at that one hour and then that two-hour mark. Check every meal. You want the you don't want the spikes after your meal, you want a thirty point or less spike when you eat, so if your blood sugar's thirty before a meal, it shouldn't go over a hundred after you eat. If you cannot do that by diet and a lot of people can't because of what's going on in their body it's not their fault; they need help that's where the medication comes in
3: wow, you will okay.
4: you will reduce. Your complications. What happens when blood sugar is high above normal? It gets thick. It's, it's like syrup in your veins. The thicker it is, the harder on your arteries. Um, arteries need, need nitric oxide oxide when your blood sugars are high the nitric oxide is not there your your arteries start hardening they need to be viable they need to expand as blood goes through them as the blood sugars longer they stay thick longer blood sugars stay high the harder those arteries get the blood sugar sh- the blood is harder to push through those arteries and that's where we get the damage to
3: our organs
4: and we I don't have a- want
3: that I have a question.
2: Okay, sure. time wind it down real quick.
3: Okay. Um, my question is, um, and there's people, and, you know, I think back at my mother as one of them, that because they ended up on insulin, she was on the pills for a long time, and she ended up on insulin. And once she started those injections, she felt like it was a free pass. To,
4: to eat, eat anything.
3: She, yes. What do you say yes.
4: about that? That is, unfortunately, we see that all too often. The people that I know on insulin, type 1, type 1.5, they have near normal, if not normal, blood sugars averaging at 85. They do that because they eat very low carb and they are very diligent. Um, it can be done, but unfortunately we're not taught that. We don't have the education being taught to people with diabetes to explain to them how important our diet is to us. It needs to be low-carb, and we need nutritious diets. We are being told to have, you know, if you want that piece of chocolate cake, just don't have a baked potato. Well, we can't do that, especially type 2s. But if you're on insulin, too many people just think that it is okay. Well, yes, in a way it is okay because they're substituting. But at the same time, because we have diabetes, we need clean, healthy diets. We want the least amount of complications possible. And that's why we're seeing so many complications. It goes back to our food. It goes back to our diet. All the packaged food we eat, the prepared food we eat, all the preservatives, the least amount that you do, the better off you will be. Well, look, a
2: lot of great information. Our time is winding down here. Let's quickly, how, how can people get involved with the ATDDA? I know you're a nonprofit organization. Donations, of course, are always uh, always um, welcome. Uh, you weren't going to say that, but I'm going to throw that out there because you put, <laughs> yes, you put because out a lot I'm of not, great information. So,
4: I'm not good how, at asking.
2: No, I mean, it's great. I mean, you're a nonprofit association. You started this to help. You put out a lot of great information out there. How can people, uh, you know, support the ATDDA and get involved?
4: You can go to my website. I do have on my website where you can mail Unfortunately, snail mail, the old-fashioned way, uh, you can send me donations that way. I am working to get a donate button on my website, so you'll be able to donate directly on the web to make things easier. Um, Hopefully, in the coming future, this year, um, uh, we will be out and about. I know we will be joining you this year, so that will be definitely wonderful um at the convention um you know donate help ask i go to our website if you have any questions um there's a place to email me um i have a facebook page you can look us up at facebook.com slash atdda i also have a group a private group for truck drivers it's a closed group so you can ask questions other drivers are in there um like I said you email me get on the website how you know if you want to get involved you You know, you have suggestions for my website or things that drive, if anybody has any suggestions, more questions, you know, if I start seeing the same questions over and over, that helps me provide the correct information for you. I'm an observer. I look and I see and I see what people are asking and I see what people are doing and that's how I provide my information. So if you have questions, email them to me, laura at atd. Atdda.org. Easiest way to email me.
2: Okay, well, sounds great. It's a great website. We wish you the best of luck and a really great show and a lot of information. So just uh, check it out at atdda.org. And uh, because, I mean, she's, uh, she's, still, she's still trucking out there and, and, and doing this nonprofit organization as well. So really appreciate it. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, thanks again for being our guest this evening. Great show. Thank, Thank you, you,
4: Alan. Thank you, Donna. I appreciate it. And Merry Christmas to you.
3: Merry Christmas.
2: Thanks. And I tell you, we'll, uh, uh, well, we're down to about 16 minutes. Just a quick break, and Donna and I will be right back to wrap up this final broadcast for 2012 on Truth About Trucking Live. Be right back.
1: You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back.
2: Hey, everybody. Alan Smith here with Truth About Trucking Live with an important message for owner-operators and fleet owners. Hodeon Incorporated is a company that makes the Dynasys APU, and if you're considering an auxiliary power unit for your truck but thought you just couldn't afford it, you need to talk to the Dynasys guys about their all-new financing program. The Dynasys APU saves fuel and provides AC, heating, plug-in, power, all of those comfort necessities you deserve when you have to shut down for your mandatory break. It's definitely the smart way to be comfortable and save money. Their finance program is designed to make your monthly payment nearly half of what you're spending on fuel with the goal of making APUs available for every hardworking driver. They realize that times are tough and that credit is hard to come by, so they offer four credit plans giving all owner operators and fleet owners a guaranteed financing opportunity. They can even get you hooked up with grants that can cover APU costs as well. So give them a call at 1-800-289-8282. It's toll-free, 1-800-289-8282, or just Google search Dynasis APU. Visit them online at hodion.com, that's H-O-D-Y-O-N.com, and check out their social conversation from the road over at socialcbradio.com. It's pretty cool. The Dynasis APU, the best solution, to engine idling.
1: there's a lot of copycats out there but you know there's only one truth about trucking live now back to the show
2: all right donna well good show did you come up with
3: uh any ideas any announcements or anything you wanted to share well i kind of shared a little bit of it during the show but i'm really excited um over our, our truck driver health and actually everybody type of health uh, shows that we're doing now. Um, it was a big part of our convention. Um, like I said, uh, Rick Ash of the trucking solutions group presented on it. Also, um, Elaine Papp, uh, of the FMCSA. She also spoke at the convention, um, on various things regarding truck driver health. So, uh, I'm looking forward to the next few shows. Um, I spoke, like I said, I spoke to, <clears throat> excuse me, Kevin Hodge, and uh, Rodney Coleman. And uh, Rodney has uh, is involved with a membership for getting uh, medical advice while you're out on the road, and it's through some kind of web TV, and you actually speak to a doctor. Uh, could be for a consult. Could be for uh, may- maybe you need an I- antibiotic or something. But uh, it's it's a new uh, it's new to me anyway. I don't know if it's it's been around. I don't know if you ever heard of it, Alan. Um, but what is it? It's it's where you can log on through your phone or your computer with a doctor and have uh, talk about a, uh, an ailment, an issue that you're having, a medical issue. And uh, depending on the situation, which when we get on the show we'll get into all the details. So I'm just kind of giving a really vague overview here. But depending on your situation, um, they can actually even prescribe colon medications at your, the pharmacy of your choice.
2: Yeah, you know, I remember I remember hearing or reading something about that a while back.
3: Oh, okay. Well, um, I found that to be very interesting. I I know a, a lot of people on the road. You know, they might have a toothache, they need an antibiotic, or you know, a, a, a bladder infection or something like that, and um, you know they they just don't don't go to the doctor or they wait too long and then it gets more serious. So anyway, um, that'll be a show, and then we have um, Kevin Hodge, who uh, I, that was the show. I want to get um, Barry on with us uh, because he's growing these um, what does he call them aquaponic organic plants uh totally organic with tremendous amounts of nutrients and he sets them up it's like a little mini greenhouse that you can set up and uh i I just i was just amazed at, at all the things he's doing so um that's just two of the shows then we have sandy talbot who uh was at the convention she's how many years was she out on the road alan she's a driver she's still driving um she's oh,
2: still driving I know she's uh like seventy one now and been driving for uh, i don't know how long long time more
3: and more i remember you saying that you've been driving longer than me, so it's probably between forty i don't know forty plus years out on the road, and she just had um a medical issue while she was out on the road, and she's fine now and uh I had asked her you know if she wouldn't mind talking about it and she said no and uh She wouldn't mind, and she also wants to talk about, you know, other issues for drivers out on the road. So those are three shows so far that we have uh, that we have lined up. um, Okay, coming
2: up. Uh, Anything else?
3: Well, not uh, offhand. We're still. I know we're getting the the emails and the Facebook messages and my my private mess. My, what do you call it? The instant message on my phone. Uh, so, when's the convention? Do you have the date set? And we'll have all that out and ready for you in January. So, um, just be patient. We're in the process of um, you know discussing things and making some decisions, so that will all be available in January. Okay.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thanks again to Laura Ann Kilpatrick of the ATDDA for joining us and sharing her knowledge and experience with us. So you can visit the American Truck Drivers Diabetes Associations at ATDDA.org, and the links to their Facebook and Twitter pages can be found there as well, and be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites, and that will do it for 2012.
3: Yeah, I just want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, a very blessed one, and a very happy, safe New Year. uh, Yep,
2: for sure. It's right around the corner. So, again, have a Merry Christmas, everyone, and a happy and healthy and prosperous New Year. We will see you back here, same time, same place, in 2013. So until next time, for Donna Smith, TruthAboutTrucking.com, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Truth About Trucking Live. I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and hey, thanks for listening.